me pone un, un hipótesis. Si tú no quieres hablar conmigo, dímelo para yo no llamarte ni molestarte, porque nada más quedaba tú. Real talk. Real people. Real stories. The He's Just Podcast. Yeah! Welcome, everyone, to another He's Just Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker movement, Jules Dujay, with another amazing show. But before I get started, I want to remind everyone that this plight and this fight was created for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Today's guest is very special to me in so many ways. She's touched my life in the little bit of time that I've met her. I'm talking about Beth Edwards. She has a 24-year-plus career as a special education paraprofessional at a dual-language school. She has served as a camp nurse in Norwalk, YMCA. She set up and maintained and organized health services. She's also oversaw and overlooked the care practices and products and produced and distributed written communication to parents that was relevant to keep their children safe regarding special needs and precautionary concerns. She's also served as a camp director where she cared for the safety and protection and provided supervision for the environment, the safety of staff and participants. She's also served as a paramedic in Bridgeport and Danbury, Connecticut. She's worked as, as an EMT in Yonkers, New York. Her life has been filled with touching other people's lives, whether it is through health, through support, and most importantly, with love. It is truly a pleasure to have and introduce to you Beth Edwards. Beth. Thank you, Jules, for having me. Thank you. Hello out there, everybody. Um, it's such a pleasure to believe it, uh, be here. I live in uh, the great nutmeg state of Connecticut, and I work in uh, Connecticut as well in a dual language um, elementary school as a special education paraprofessional. Well, uh, being a special education paraprofessional was not on my radar, mm. nor anything to do with children. I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, it was the late 80s and the early 90s, and I was working on an ambulance in uh, New York, uh, where I was living at the time as an EMT and then becoming a paramedic. I like the grit and the, you know, the pulse of the city. And being younger, I wanted to see some action, which I did. And the AIDS epidemic was in full swing and hip hop was going on. And well, about 1994, 1995, uh, my dad got cancer and I came back home uh, to Connecticut to, to take care of him uh, until he passed away on my birthday in November. Um, and although I was home caring for my dad, I was concerned of my abilities to work, you know, with a clear head, you know, as my job as a paramedic and, you know, with the grief and the caring. And at the same time, um, this was happening. People at my church kept telling me that they saw children all around me, that they're pulling on my skirt and they're calling me mom, and I thought they were crazy. And then the next thing you know, um, my friend who uh, went to the same church, 
she was the uh, executive director at the YMCA. Mm. She needed a nurse for the for summer camp, and since I was concerned about you know me making a big mistake out there in the field with my patients, I said yes, you know, to give me a reprieve. I cut back uh, my hours on the ambulance, and I did this summer camp thing at the YMCA. Then as the summer ended, you know, they needed somebody for the, it was 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. in the morning um, for the before and school after program at the YMCA, that, the school that I work at now. Mm-hmm. So I did. And, and I worked on the ambulance a little bit, you know, and I would work with the kids a little bit. And it was all just the thought of, I'll do this for gas money. Hmm. Well, then it was like 1998. Um, and the principal at the time called me into her office and liked the way I worked with the kids at the before, you know, the YMCA program in the morning at the school and asked if I would be interested in working in the kindergarten classroom because they could use the help. Mm-hmm. So I did for, for gas money, you know, and then one day um, I used to wear these long skirts in the late 90s and a little kid grabbed my skirt and said, Mom, my name is Edwards. Hmm. And then flashing before me was, you know, like that prophetic word that I was given to me in church from the people who I thought were crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They will pull on your skirt and call you Mom. And I lost it. And now it's been like 24 plus years working with these kids. And I, I see them all over the community. And it's been, Jules, it's been a real gift for me. You know, the gift is, or the gift that you were giving us, just hearing you and your trajectory. Let's first start talking about this piece. And for me, what stood out is the second time that you tell me this story and the second time that I'm impacted the very same way. This piece of grief, which is something that people will all have to deal with, is a very difficult process, to say the least. When I lost my mom, was as my best friend, I also dealt with what is the best step? What do I do next? And thank you for sharing that. You could have crawled under a bed, although as difficult as it was, you decided to roll up your sleeves and do the work. And it is the children by far who are leading you. Now we talk about this piece of your spirituality and obviously the trust that you have has carried you for several years, 24 years plus to be exact. Did you really think about when you look back at this experience throughout your power professional campaign that you were going to go, all right, I think I've done this enough. I'm going to switch. Why did you stay for so long? Or why are you still doing it? You know, um, that is a good question. Um, I guess it's because I didn't really choose it. Hmm. It was something I believe was a, a divine choice uh, from God or from, I know people out there may not believe in God, we can call it uh, the source, you know, your higher power, whatever you want to call it, but it was something bigger than me. And, uh, you know, living in where we live here in Fairfield County and comparing yourself with other people and money and blah, blah, and um, it just was comforting to me that I'm I'm at a place where I know that God wants me to be. So as far as my needs 
that I may worry about, you know, basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, you know, the money to live here. He has, he takes care of it. Mm. You know, here on this show, all ways of self-care are welcomed. There's no judgments here. Everyone uses a source of support. Let it be spirituality. Let it be a support of a team. So we respect and honor that because you've chosen a sort of a journey that has led you to help these children year after year. What is challenging about your job? If there are any challenges when we talk about the special education paraprofessional. Well, um, it can be very challenging at times, um, and it's <laughs> it's definitely not boring, mm. that's for sure. You know, but the rewards far outweigh the challenges. And at the school that I work at, we have a great crew there. Mm. I mean, we really help each other. It's all about, you know, the community. You work at a elementary school, right? Yeah. And for those that are listening, I want to let them understand a little bit about the skill set that sometimes the children that we service are up against. Is the student having severe difficulties functioning with their life skills? You know, is it toileting, their mobility, eating, dressing, self-care, personal safety? You know, these supports that these children need every day, whether it's to increase their independence, whether it is to help them learn after we teach them. You know, these physical supports and these other supports that these students may need are very important for the special education population. And the people who know the work of what they call the para understands that the work is done because you care. Now, how do you think, not the district, but how do you think the world visions, paraprofessionals, how do you think you're viewed within our schools? Are there, are there things that you think about when we, when we talk about the profession, the paraprofessional? Is there something that you can tell us about that? Well, honestly, um, <clears throat> I've had a positive experience at my school. Um, the paraprofessionals at my school are great, and the teachers appreciate us. Mm -hmm. And I think it is a mixed bag, perhaps, in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. um, some may view us as insignificant mm. or overlooked. Mm. Um, but for the most part, it, at least at my school, they recognize us as like the connective tissue or the glue that kind of holds us together. I mean, because we don't just, it's not just, oh, we're working with this kid and this kid is mine. It's like, it's a community. Mm. We help all the children, irregardless, you know? Um, and it could be anything. It could be from tying their sneaker, helping them when they're upset, especially, um, giving them some space to mm. just kind of decompress, just you know, being there and listening and caring and working in conjunction. Like I said, it, you know, like somebody else said, it takes a village. Yeah. And it really does. And the healing does come with, and I think this was with all people, it comes with community. Yeah. Um, so we have a great, we have great special education teachers, the social worker, the occupational therapist, the physical therapist. Yeah. You know, everybody is there to help, um, and that's why I love 
what I do because everybody is, you know, very caring. You know, the parents who have, you know, special education children can rest assured that people like Beth take care of their children as if they were their own. Many a times, the power professional does not get to meet the parent for various reasons. One thing that I really um, don't understand still, because I figure that for me, the work that you've done, you become more than a family member. The student spends the most time with us at school. And these are moments where you, time after time, are teaching and learning with the students. There is a dynamic and social emotional learning of the attachment theory, this importance of the relationship that is built between the teacher and the student. And many a times, the paraprofessional who, irregardless of the situation, irregardless of what the students need or what their needs are, meet that at the door. And they're willing and able to do that. So this is why this is important for our listeners to understand that the work that you do for some, they may view it as uncertified staff, but for me and people who understand the work that you do for these students, it is very, very valuable because with you is that the student begins to become independent, begins to learn the skill set, And I think that that's not only valuable, but it's important as we develop these children for college and career readiness. Now, your day-to-day -day job, tell us a little bit how you prepare for that. Well, it's the it's it's like the beginning of the year now, part of the year. So I check in with um the special education teachers, and so we're beginning to build our caseloads. Uh, we just recently got a new special ed teacher, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. has been a big help. And so far, I've been in like the first, second, and third grade classrooms. You know, it may shift or change. Uh, depending on, you know, what's mandated for the child and stuff. But um, we're always checking in, and it's kind of like a living document, I guess you would call it, mm -hmm. in some respects. Um, mm -hmm. I've had a couple kids that, you know, are, a, you know, the success of it is I've got two of my children who have been moved out of special ed. They don't need our services anymore because they're fully mainstreamed. They're able to do you know math science mm. uh, english all these you know things for school the only thing i guess maybe that component that's left is uh, perhaps seeing the social worker mm. um so there are children that get phased out of it you know which is really part of the great success but in the meantime everybody's different mm-hmm you know, we just acclimate them for where they're at, you know, make them feel comfortable so they can learn stress-free. Can you help us understand, like, what's the time span or the length of time that you may work with a particular student? Do you flip students? Do you stay with one student? How does this work? Well, depending on their, um, they call it an IEP. Mm -hmm. Like one student that I work with has to have two hours at least a day. Mm. You know, another one may have one and a half hours and then certain amounts of time that they spend either with the speech pathologist or the social worker or the head uh, special education teacher. We, um, you know, make sure that those those times are, are filled. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that 
I talked about just a little while ago was referencing that teacher-student relationship. Part of social-emotional learning also has the development theory, where again, the student is getting a chance or an opportunity to kind of phase out, as you said, and to learn more about their development within their environment. Many a times we are faced with students who are struggling with behavior. And in this development phase, we're trying to figure out what are the best practices. Now, you get a document that has a number of goals on it, the IEP says, and now you have this. Can you tell us about the difficulty of dealing with a student that struggles with behavior and how that kind of plays into your day and also to how you support the student? That is a really good question because everybody's different, right? Everybody has their own personality. A lot of these children like, well, just like anybody else, they like certain things, they don't like certain things. So uh, part, of, uh, part, part of trying to get them to excel and to elevate is to learn what triggers them, mm. what doesn't trigger them, what comforts them, who do they like to be with, and to try to implement. Like I have a student who, oh, they're an artist. They love to draw. They have a gift. Mm -hmm. So we always want to celebrate their gifts and talents and abilities. And at the same time, there's expectations from the school that they have to do, right? English, math, whatever they have to do. So as part of a reward, you know, we work a little bit. And you can draw a little bit. You know, another kid may not like to draw. Um, some kids really need space. Some kids, like, have a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. um, because who knows what's going on at home, right? And so children are children. They're not adults yet. They don't really know how to use their words. So that's something that we... That's something that I say. You know, use your words to get them to talk things out because when you talk things out you you will feel better but sometimes i have to just take kids um i call it a walk and talk mm. it's just a quick walk around the school and we're talking and you know there's you know the space for them to open up about anything they want to talk about or they don't have to talk about anything well, we just go for a little walk maybe get a drink of water it's you know it's like a reset mm -hmm. And then they seem to settle down, you know, and do and do the work. But it's like a balancing act, you know. Some days are better than others, you know, and just like adults, you know, some days are better than others for us and for kids um, because we're watching and we're listening and we're caring. We're trying to um, give them the best academic and school life social experience mm -hmm. that they can have. I really enjoyed your answer because you really tapped in for a lot for me in different areas. So you talked about this project-based learning where a student can use arts to kind of fend off a frustration. You know, some of our students struggle working in, in small groups and that part of that development theory that I'm referencing speaks to that. You understanding on cue that this student is triggered by math, right? And once you notice that math is coming up, you've made a decision. And I want our listeners to understand that this happens in real time because Beth, like 
all the other teachers that service our students spend the most time with your kids. And it's important for you to understand that some of what Beth has told us now is that when students are struggling, they may need, and that is the key. They need what? A walk, a hug, talking, maybe not talking, giving them space. So I want our listeners to understand that the school day is a compromising one. And you talked about the beginning of the day. And, and during this beginning, some of our students who are struggling with mental health often are not fed on time because their schedules are running. Mom and dad are working. Maybe mom is alone. There's so much that's happening for our students. But something that our schools are trying to implement always is that when we receive your children, we are starting off with a morning meeting. And this morning meeting is allowing us to start the day from fresh. I don't know what happened home, but here I am. Could you tell us about a sequence when a student comes into morning meeting frustrated and sometimes it's not your student on your caseload? What do you do when such a thing happens? Well, that's a good question, Jules. I mean, what do you do? You do the best you can and whatever you do, you don't want to make it worse, right? Mm. Um, so you try to make it better, whether it's going for a quick walk, um, just talking to them, letting them know, like you said, you know, it's okay, whatever happened at home, but now you're, we're at school, you know, we all care about you. We're just asking them, what would you like to do? Mm -hmm. What do you need? They may not be able to communicate it. But this is where the community comes in at school, and some people are able to let you know, hey, he gets upset if he sees or hears, uh, you know, the, the running of the water. Like, certain things can trigger kids. Who knows what it is? But we're, we're finding out, and we're making sure, to our best ability, mm -hmm. to bring them peace, you know, and let them know that we care about them and that they're important to us, no matter who they are, right? Special ed, it doesn't even matter if they are or not. They're children. Uh, we try to acclimate them to help them so that they can, you know, come back and focus and enjoy being at school, mm. right? If you don't enjoy being somewhere, you're not going to want to be there. <laughs> you know, the, the, the one thing I want our listeners to understand to obtain a paraprofessional within our schools is not very easy. There's a checklist that they go through. You talked about communication. If there's a concern around communication and the student is flashing behaviors with it, many of our learners are learning a second language. They're not really understanding. They've lost some of their culture. They've entered a new country. Things are happening in real time really fast. And teachers want results. You know, they want the student to be able to fit in, to, to work with the rest of the group. But there's a checklist that needs to be completed. And when you talk about that communication piece, a speech pathologist, uh, a special education teacher, they begin to collect data and get knowledge of what you were talking about. If there's running water, the student is triggered by this. You know, there are concerns with the, the, the pragmatic or some sort of issue to receive and understand the language to express it. So many of our students lash out with aggression 
and people do not understand that. Have you had situation where like a student has been violent? I mean, in 24 years, maybe you have tons of stories, but there are issues that sometimes when our students don't get their needs met, they lash out. What, what do you do or where can they get the support that they need when these situations happen? Well, um, last year we definitely had a situation with a student that was uh, violent, mm. kicking, throwing things in the room, very angry. And this child's home life was, how can I say this? It was not Little House on the Prairie. Let's put it that that way. You know, she had a lot of things going on. And uh, as, um, you know, a six-year-old little girl with all these things going on, of course, um, well, maybe not of course, but her way of communicating was doing and acting out like she did. So... Mm. Eventually, you know, the school counselor, of course, the principal, social worker, psychologist, everybody had to get on board to try to help her, and they've integrated um, things for her to help her out more outside, you know, services, let's say. Mm -hmm. These students like this that we're talking about, after the pandemic, we are seeing a rise of these behaviors, and we talk about a student who is not special education, who is flashing some of these behaviors because they are noticing the student has another adult with them. They're getting the attention that I need. And this learned behavior that some of these students begin to flash from non-special education students is some sort of phenomenon too because they begin to practice what they're learning because they see that. And kids learn from one another the most, more than a teacher spelling out what it is or telling them how to do the work or solve a problem. Kids learn the most from each other. And that is something that I think we should also take note because the learning does not start and end with the teacher or the paraprofessional or the other adult that may or may not be in the room. Now we have these cult taught models, etc. But these are many examples of when other students are seeking the attention and may need additional services. And just to go back to your story, when a student is dealt with these issues and we try to turn them around, when we bring them back into our schools, we receive them with open arms. There's no situation that we have not seen. There's no situation that we act like this student has been the worst of all. Mm -hmm. These students are loving kids that are learning. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do the work that we do. Now, when you, when you think of the role of the paraprofessional, you've been at this for so many years, what do you think has evolved since you began your career? Like, what is different about this now? Well, well, certainly since COVID, we've learned so much about technology, you know, from remote learning, so many different platforms. So that has evolved for sure. And for my district that I work in, you know, they've been really good about giving us more professional development training, mm -hmm. you know, to better equip us to care uh, for the children, you know, in whatever arena. You know, can you tell me of a time that that you had your own struggle mm -hmm. and you had to, like, persevere? And I know that you shared this story at the beginning about your journey, which is so, which is so touching and beautiful. Because I know that we've spoken and you have spoken about your dad with me before. So thank you for, for sharing that. 
and for and for trusting us. But what are some times that you've had a struggle that you think required you to step up and you kind of made that change? Well, I struggled last year, just to be honest. It was even more than uh, during during COVID when we had to do remote learning, which was like, woo, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you know, uh, and all this, all these platforms and uh, just everybody out there knows, right, what we've all went through with COVID. Um, but for uh, the teachers out there and educators and doctors and nurses and Come on, even everybody in the supermarket were all essential. So COVID brought out the fact that everybody's essential, right? Mm -hmm. But I struggled last year, and we have a new principal, Mm. and she helped me. Mm. She unlocked some things for me, um, and we talk things out. And I am not like a talker, which is so funny to be on this radio show right now. So thank you, Jules. That's where the healing came from, and... You know, she she didn't know me. He knew that I was off. Mm. Even more than some of my closest friends, he pursued me and did her due diligence, thank God. Mm-hmm. And she helped me to unlock a lot of things. Um, and I learned a great lesson. So, my principal, if you're listening, I want to say thank you to you. You know, sometimes we get the love and support from unknown sources and learning and working with colleagues who care is one of the biggest things that when you do this work, you really feel, okay, I'm ready to turn up again tomorrow because you understand that people are willing to get into the trenches with you. So thank you and shout out to your principal, obviously, for stepping up to support because I think that on a level of the employer, sometimes we feel that they're not listening, but when we get our voices heard, it really stands out loud. So thank you for sharing that. If you if you had a magic wand and you kind of had a chance to make a change within schools all over the world, like what do you think you would change about specialized instruction and, and special education? Like what would that be? Keep it simple. Mm. Keep it simple. Um, though the process seems to be improving, mm-hmm. my desire is that these children would get help sooner. Mm-hmm. And we definitely need more help. Oh, there's such a short of, shortage of educators in the United States of America, mm-hmm. if not the whole world, especially since COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, some schools are overcrowded. It would be great to have more space. Mm-hmm. You know, but I just wish, and it, is getting better, you know, little by slow, but it's getting better. I just wish they would be tracked through a lot quicker, Mm. you know, and just keep it simple. I want people to know how special you are to me. And and you you heard a show that I dropped some information about my affinity to Vicks, and you showed up with a Vicks vapor rub here today. (laughs) I'm extremely happy about that because I think I'll bring it with me all of the time. Your work as an EMT, a nurse, we haven't even talked about that. What do you remember about that? Oh, my gosh. I just knew that that's what I really wanted to do. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a 70s kid. I'm older. I used to watch this show. It's on, you know, it's called Emergency. And mm-hmm. 
And that guy would pop the F and F and tops. It's like, wow, you know, I want to do that. I, I've always had like, I guess my superpower is compassion. Mm. Today, today they like to say empathy. Mm-hmm. But I don't like pe- to see people hurting and pain. I always want to help. Um, and so I really wanted to get all my bang for the buck, so to speak. So that's why I went to Yonkers. Um, and really saw a lot of gnarly things there as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really fulfilling to help people, you know, no matter what it is. And now it's the kids. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the kids, what is what is your, the, the favorite part of your job when you, when you reference children in your current work? Serving. Mm. I live to serve. You know, like I said, my superpower is empathy. So in whatever way I can help, it's great. And I'll have to say that when a child learns how to read and the light bulb goes on, that's the biggest gift. You know, paraprofessionals go way and beyond to help our students. What are some of the things you want our listeners to understand about the work you do day to day to help our learners? Well, we're there and we're present and we're listening and we care. And sometimes kids just need space. Like I said, sometimes I, I take a kid who's struggling on a walk and talk, right? A simple walk in the building, talking, walking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important to get the stuff out, you know, and to just care and support and to listen. You know, in my line of work, a lot of people say, how is it that a student comes crying, they go into your office and they step out of there laughing like nothing ever happened? And now they're recharged and they're refocused and ready to learn. Sometimes it takes two to three trips. Sometimes it takes more than that. But in the work that we do, we need to remind people that we don't give up on children. We don't give up on them because they matter. And they are the future to what we are trying to do. Many a times we are asked to do things that is beyond our job task. Now, the paraprofessional sometimes steps in and becomes the teacher. There, there's, there's so much now to be said about data-driven instruction. They also talk a lot about the co-teaching model. When I think about the power professional, and I want listeners to understand, it's not a situation where this person is following the identified student. I want people to understand that the power professional is like a gardener. They're out there just spreading water, checking all the flowers, making sure they all have water. And there's people like Beth Edwards who step out of that box all of the time. They don't need to stay glued to the student. They need to stay glued to their hearts and to the commitment of these students. I want our listeners to understand the field of special education in some regard, but I want them to understand how can they become a paraprofessional? Because many of our young listeners who are learning about being a teacher's aide or or they want to get into the system, what can you share with them? Well, I know right now, I believe, Jules, that in our uh, district, they're running, um, I think, for third grade. They need would like people to come in and read to them. Mm. You know, I think during, well, obviously during COVID, you know, everything got shifted and changed around. And, you know, some of them have you know, kind of naturally because of the way COVID took away time in school, 
some of their benchmarks are lower than they should be. But, you know, children are very resilient. So um, everybody out there listening in your district or whatever, just just call your maybe town hall or your city hall. Uh, just visit your local school, talk to the principal. We can definitely use the help, you know. I'm sure it's all over the United States of America, like I said, if not the world. Definitely would need help, but I would just contact um, maybe the website of your local district mm -hmm. and or talk to a teacher you may know or just call up your school. Mm -hmm. um, is, there, is there some sort of degree that people need to be a paraprofessional? Do they need to do something? Do they need a certification? What do they need? Well, that's a good question. I, you know, because of the way that I got into paraprofessionalism, which was not really my choice, mm -hmm. um, it just kind of miraculously happened. These doors opening for me. Um, I don't know how to answer that. Um, There's there that there, there are things that we can talk to to speak to that. Um, a student who is in a program who is trying to do an internship and wants to get into the field, this is a good way to begin to learn. Like you said, volunteering, entering a school. We have had so many success stories. And a prior show, I had a person who was a paraprofessional for many years, and today she's a special education administrator for the district. So there is no end, and there's no way to kind of say, this is what you need to do first. And I think that in your answer, I like that you said volunteer. Go out there and do something to support, which I believe is super important for the people who are listening because all they need is an adult to read to them. There are many of us who seem not to understand that these kids sometimes don't have these resources. Sometimes they have parents who don't speak the language. So having someone to volunteer to read to them during the school day is very, very, very important. Now, there are ways that we've talked about, in particular about the work that you do as a paraprofessional. Um, and you talked about the principal who has influenced you. Can you share with us a success story? I mean, 24 years doing this work. Is there a success story that you've experienced or a couple of success stories during your tenure that you want to talk about? Oh, wow. There are a lot of success stories, but there's definitely two that uh, stand out for me. Mm. One of them is a first grader who was autistic, mm -hmm. nonverbal. Uh, he would um, sit in his chair and it was like a, he'd become like a melting patty of butter on a stack of pancakes. He would just slide under his desk. Mm. And, you know, during my morning when I get up, I put God first, I pray, I do my devotionals, mm -hmm. and I would pray for this child. And one day, and the teacher is a witness to this, I'll never forget this, he sat up straight, folded his hands, and started reading Click Clack Mo. Mm. This book, Click Clack Mo. And from that day forward, that's how he continued to be. He was reading and talking. And making eye contact. That was like a miracle. And the teacher in the classroom was, and I still get blown away by it. She still talks about it to this day. 
Another one is this little girl who uh, in kindergarten had had multiple, multiple uh, surgeries, uh, was born with no thumbs. Mm -hmm. um, the doctor had taken pieces of bone from her hip and made thumbs, so her the writing, mm. the fine motor skills, you know, even holding a pencil, you know, it, uh, today she's in fourth grade. Hmm. She is reading and she is writing just like her coworkers. And I do have to give a shout out to the occupational therapist mm -hmm. and the physical therapist. And like I said before, you know, it's a community. Paraprofessionals, the teachers, the special education teachers, but really the occupational therapist, she did such a great job with her. And because the student knows, and it's not just a knowing, she could feel that we care about her, right? It's one thing, and listeners out there, you know, it's one thing when somebody says that they love you, but when you really feel it, mm. right, you grow like you described so well before, Jules, about a garden, you know, watering that garden. And um, it's like the training wheels come off and they're going. And it's just an amazing thing to see. So those two stories really stand out to me, but it's just even the little things every day that happen. Mm. Oh, he didn't have a meltdown because he didn't get Fruit Loops today. Like, he's okay with it. It just, it could be little things to big things. And we all know it's about the little things, right? So those stories, for, for sure, for me, have, have really stood out. You know, sometimes simple means super. And you've shared... Two great stories, and even the Fruit Loops one is a success. That's why people who do know you, Beth, are really touched by you because you really take no credit for nothing. You usually just do your work and, and figure things out as they may come. And to be 24 years in this, it speaks to the love that you have for these students and how much you care for them. What, what strategies can you offer our parents or listeners who have a child who's been identified as a special education student. What are some of the things that you think will be helpful to them as they take this journey of supporting their own child for this special education walk? Well, parents, first of all, be good to yourself. You know, kids learn in different rates, um, you know, and it, it'll all work out. I think um, consistent routines and reading to your kids and playtime mm. is super important as well. And like the Beatles say, we all get by with a little help with our friends, right? So going back to community, letting people help you, giving yourself a break, because parents, you know, it's a never-ending job, right? It's 24-7, and it's, it's a tough job, but it's a, a job of love for sure. Um, but getting with the, letting them get the stuff out and giving giving them space, you know, maybe at home, having a certain spot where they do their homework, you know, consistency, like a certain time for this, a certain time for that, and even you know, I think adults, at least I know I do, I thrive when I have um, you know, a, a certain routine, let's say. Mm -hmm. So helping our child in the home front 
really looks like the parent forecasting what may come. Don't get overwhelmed, but take it serious enough that they're taking care of themselves first. Sort of like you put your mask on first, put your oxygen mm -hmm. mask on first mm -hmm. so you can be able to survive the trek. You know, for, for those parents that are listening, we also want to share with them that you're not alone in this. So it's people like us who take this journey with you, but it's the occupational therapist. It is the speech pathologist. It is the classroom teacher. It is the custodian. You will be amazed at the amount of people who touch your children day after day. So we thank you parents for really sharing your babies with us because that's very important. Have you had an opportunity to meet any of the parents and, and, and what was that experience like? I, I have met some parents and you know, it's been positive for me. Mm. Um, I did work uh, summer school last summer. Um, so I was able to meet a lot of these special ed educational um the the parents and for me it's been very positive and mm. i think the number one thing of course that parents want to know is that their children are safe mm -hmm. that they're being cared for and that their needs are being met so uh, i just want to reassure them that you know they are and just to you know the parents could let me know certain things that i may not know you know, that's not written like an IEP or a piece of paper. They give me like little tidbits of information or even um, I even welcome like a critique, you know. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe do this and don't do that. But it, I've never experienced that. I mean, for me, it's always been positive. Well, thank you for sharing that and shout out to all of our parents. We want to remind people that the parents, when it comes to special education, are part of the team. They're not a parent. Right. They are decision makers, of course, because we are caring for their children. But I want people to understand the concept of team. The fact that the parent is there as a support to us and not the other way around. We count on what the parent is sharing with us. And I think that it is critical and important information to know when a parent says to you, if you're doing peanut butter and jelly, he or she wants jelly on the right side and not on top of the peanut butter. Mm -hmm. Please listen, because th this is important information. This may throw off the entire day. <laughs> how do you feel when your students are making strides in learning? How, how, how does that feel? And I know you talked about Fruit Loops, but now that they're learning, how do you feel about that when you're seeing that process kind of unfold after all the years and, 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 the, and the time that you've spent? Well, I feel as if, uh, I feel like any parent would mm. on top of the world. You know, we want them to become self-sufficient, independent citizens who practice kindness and are confident. And, you know, no, they don't have to be perfect. Mm. Nobody is. So, gosh, just so happy. What What can you share for those parents who who don't have an opportunity to connect with the school as much as they want, but they need the support at home. They want to learn some of these strategies. They only get that opportunity during a PPT meeting, and then they're talking about the IEP. What are things that you think, you talked about the parent doing things to relieve themselves, but now I'm thinking about what can the parents think about when they're at home to support their students, which are their children, but 
they're they're learners on the own home front. What is a good strategy that you think you can share with them for that extra help? Well, I guess, um, like I said before, um, consistency is the key. Um, as far as resources go, we live in a very technologically driven society now, so there is such resources available on the computer. Of course, I could be speaking to people out there who may not have access to computers and technology, mm -hmm. but I would encourage you to reach out perhaps to the teacher of your child, um, social worker, mm -hmm. school counselor. Mm -hmm. They're, they will be more than happy to try to um, give you resources or tips or, or things to help you. Well, this may be like a twofold question, but, you know, what do you do for self-care? And you talked about spirituality as one of the things that guides you. How does that work support you in your day-to-day -day progress as a paraprofessional? Well, what I do for self-care is I exercise. Mm. I try to make sure I get enough rest. I think sleep is really important. Mm -hmm. I try to wear life as a loose garment. Mm -hmm. I try not to take things personally. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely put God first, you know. Um, and again, for those out there, you know, I don't want to offend anybody who doesn't believe in God. We call them source, you know, higher power, whatever you want to call it. If it's got to be anything but me, as long as I realize I'm not God. Um, but like I stopped drinking soda years ago. I try to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and I love music, Jules. Mm. You know, I I love music. I, I write music. I play the guitar. Mm. I love a good show. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a movie or a TV series, or a play, and I love nature. I I, I live kind of close to a beach, mm. which is a real blessing. I okay. love the water, so I like to be outside by the water. Mm -hmm. Or anything to do with nature definitely helps me with self-care. And uh, Well, let us find out if paraprofessionals make all this money living on the beach, and we don't even know it. <laughs> when we talk about this money, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Delaware, they're, they're supposed to be cited as, as the highest payers for instructional paraprofessionals, and you're a special education paraprofessional. If, does that matter to you that one does this and not that? What do you think is fair when you come to this landscape about the world of paraprofessionals? Well, it's a good question. I just... Um was listening to the news the other day and this big CEO of a company got like a 40% raise mm. uh, and everybody else was like, well, if they get a 40% raise, then we all should. Mm. And so, you know, it's always nice to get more money for sure. But I, for me, I honestly don't get caught up with comparing myself with others. Um, it can be really you know, competitive where we live here, you know, but I know that God takes care of me. So because of the way that I got into this, you know, what I'm doing, which I thought I was just going to do for gas money, mm -hmm. I really don't kind of get caught up with that, um, though I think fair is fair for sure. Um, I believe every district has its own uh, pay 
you know, teachers are paid this over here and they're paid that over there. Pairs are paid this over here. They're paid this over there. So it's different, I think, all over the United States of America. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm into definitely a big word that's floating around nowadays, equality. That's right. Because I think that when you look at the work that you do, it doesn't matter where the student lives or where you reside. These students need the support, and I think that it's people like you who do this work, people like us who step out of here every day thinking tomorrow's better. And our job sometimes is very challenging. There are days that we are also struggling with personal things, and we have to leave that at the door and step out here and do the best that we can. And that's why I think that, to me, this is so special because you're here because you've even touched me in the in many different ways. And I'm very honored to, 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 to say that because I think that I've been able to make friends with all type of people. And you are one of those special people for me, Beth. So thank you for that because you've always not taken credit for the great that you do, except that you come every day with a bigger smile to hug these kids. So, you know, thank you for giving the love to them that they do deserve. The floor is yours, my friend. Is there anything you want our listeners to remember about you, about the process, about the children, about the paraprofession? Well, parents and everybody out there, and Jules, thank you for having me. Um, We care about your kids, Um, and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people who are nameless and faceless that show up every day um, that would do anything for your children. whether they're asked to or not. Um, it's such a rewarding job. It can be very challenging, but like I said, the rewards uh, far, far outweigh the challenges. Um, we're definitely here to help, for sure. Um, just remember that we're, you know, we're on your side. And just like Beth said, we are on your side because this platform here was built to remind people that sometimes you can't go at it alone. It is a time that you may need a team member. You may need team members to help you see this through. It is relevant in all the work that we do. There is no I in team. And it's people like Beth that remind me of the work I need to do every day because way too often we were labeled and overlooked, but no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in, friends, real soon to a new He's Just a Social Worker show coming to a town near you. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you. More than just at He's Just a Social Worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa, this is dedicated to you, Mom. Miss you so much. In memoria de mi madre, Matilde De La Rosa, esto va dedicado a ti, Mamá. Te extraño mucho.